Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Good morning again. Uh, (laughs) For those of you tuning in online or at other locations, official good morning to you guys um, over in Plymouth and Milton and Bethlehem. Man, I am just so excited to be here with you guys once again to share God's word. Um, I want to thank Pastor Nate for giving me the opportunity and trusting me to be up here once again. It is just so exciting, and I look forward to any time I get this opportunity. Um, To start off today, I kind of wanted to ask you guys a question, and so you guys can answer me the next few questions that I ask. You go ahead, raise your hand. No one's going to judge. No one's going to think anything. Um, But who here has a hobby? Who here has something they do to kind of pass time or to, to have fun, whatever it is? All right. Who here has a hobby that, like, maybe people would think is kind of, like, strange, not a typical hobby? I don't know. I got some hands. Some people are like, I don't know if I want to admit that. Um, (laughs) There's one hobby in particular that I'm looking for today. Who here has ever metal detected? Whether you've done it as a hobby or maybe you just, you tried it out before. All right, I see some hands. Okay, awesome. Yes, Dad, I see your hand. And that's kind of where we're going here. My dad (laughs) owns a metal detector. And I remember that he was really into it at one point. Um, And so we would go out to parks, we'd go out to beaches, and he would pull out this metal detector from his trunk and he'd go on his walk and he'd be metal detecting. And now, Dad, I have to apologize to you today for what I'm about to admit. There were some moments back then that I didn't necessarily believe he would ever find any of the treasures he was looking for. And if I'm being real honest, in my daughter responsibility, um, I actually felt a little bit embarrassed sometimes when he'd pop the trunk, he'd pull out his metal detector. And like metal detectors, if you've never seen them, they're big, they're long, like they make noise while you're walking around with them. And once it picks something up, whether it's a, a special rock or maybe just a pair of sunglasses and not really that golden nugget you're looking for, it's going to start beeping and doing all kinds of things. And so sometimes I'd be like, mm, that's a little bit strange. I think I'm going to go on my own walk, Dad, and like let me know if you find anything, all right? So I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one here today who has had, you know, specific feelings about certain hobbies that people do, right? I'm probably not the only one who has maybe thought that, hey, metal detecting, it might not really be the most valuable use of your time. But what if I told you that there have actually been people who have metal detected and who have found golden nuggets, they have found golden coins, they have found lots of valuable jewelry, they have found all kinds of treasures. I don't have a real story from my dad, not yet at least, but maybe, maybe he'll find that golden nugget one day. Um, all of a sudden, that hobby, that strange thing that we thought was not really a valuable use of time, suddenly looks a lot more valuable, right? You get that golden nugget, it's worth a few thousand dollars, you're like, oh, let me get myself a metal detector. Well, I think that we're gonna see something similar in our scripture today. So we're gonna jump into Mark chapter 10, verses 13 and 16. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to that. We're not gonna be looking at this passage and all of a sudden seeing the disciples or Jesus metal detect. No, no, that'd be strange. But we are gonna read through a moment where the disciples thought that Jesus could have been doing his 
could have been spending his time in a better way. They had specific opinions of how Jesus should be spending his time. Um, so let's pray together before we read it. Father God, I just thank you so much that we are here today and that we get to hear from you and we get to hear your word, Lord. I pray that you help us to have ears to hear you, that you help us to have minds that are open to what you are saying this morning and that we would catch it, Lord God. God, I pray that this time would be glorifying for you and only you, Lord God, that you would be high and lifted up in everything that is shared here, Lord God, and that you would be at the core of it all. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So let's read that scripture. It reads, One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was very angry with the disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. We're often told of crowds gathering to hear Jesus teach in the Gospels, right? But this moment is very different. It's a group of parents who are bringing their children to be blessed by Jesus. The disciples saw this and they were like, no, 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 that's going to bother Jesus. What are you doing bringing your kids here? Don't do that. And to kind of further where their, their thought was probably coming from, children at that time in society, they were actually considered to have like the lowest status, right? So kids, we don't want them around. They're not necessarily important. Don't, don't bother Jesus with them. That's where the disciples are coming from. But what does Jesus do in this moment? If we look at verse six, verse 14, we see that Jesus gets angry at the disciples and then he welcomes the children into his presence. He doesn't send them away. He shows the disciples then and now us here today that the next generation is actually very valuable, unlike what society might have thought at that time. Today, church, we're going to be taking a look at three different ways we ought to take after Jesus' example and value the next generation just as he did. The first of these ways is to love the next generation just like he did. See, Jesus welcomed the children, the next generation that those parents brought before him. He not only welcomed him into their presence, like we see in verse 14 and 15, but then we read in verse 16 that then he took the children in his arms and he places his hands on their heads and he blesses them. He did not hesitate in that moment to show his care and his affection for these little ones. See, we need to do the same exact thing. We need to love the next generation just as Jesus did in this moment. He gave them his time when others were saying, no, you have better things to do. You have more important things to do. Now in society today, we might not be looking at the next gen and saying, oh, they're the ones who hold the lowest status possible. We're not necessarily like they were back then, right? But I would say we're still guilty of holding a lesser judgment of them at times, even if it's thought to be innocent. Whether all you can think of is sticky hands and loud shrieks of cries when you think of little kids, or maybe it's angsty attitudes when you're thinking of the teenagers, we still are called to love them. See, I've heard all kinds of comments made about kids and teens, even about myself as I was growing up, and generally they go kind of something like this. Oh, 
they're just, they're just so young. They, they don't really know yet. Oh, you know, that generation, those ones who are coming up now, they have it so easy because when I was young, oh man. You know, that next generation that's coming up, I think that they're pretty, you know, they're, they're a little bit too sensitive nowadays. Too sensitive, I can't say anything to them. Or, or man, what is it about phones, social media, YouTube, video games? I feel like that's all they care about. But what is that gonna do for them? Man, you know what? I can't even understand half of the things that the next generation says sometimes. I just can't, I can't keep up. Man. You're not wrong at all. The next generation is completely different than when you were their age, and it's like that for a reason. But just because they're completely different, it doesn't mean that they need the love of Jesus shown to them any less. If anything, I would argue that the next generation is in desperate need of people to show the love of God to them more than ever before. Did you know, church, that historically, they are the most depressed and suicidal than they have ever been? Let that sit with you for a minute. The next generation is battling things that maybe you didn't battle when you were their age, but the heaviness of what they're battling now is causing them to historically be the ones who are dealing with depression, with suicide, with mental health issues the most than ever before. If that doesn't show you that they need the love of Jesus, that they need the love of God in their lives more than anything else, then I don't know. See, the church, I mean, see church, the next generation, they need people who are willing to step into their lives and to be that example of God's love, to show them God's love. And I believe that as we begin to do that, as we begin to allow them into our presence, as we begin to show them God's love, we're also gonna get, empo- we're also gonna get opportunities to empower them like Jesus. And that brings me into my second point today. In valuing the next generation like Jesus, we need to also empower them. There's one example of Jesus using what a young person had that some looked at and thought was not necessarily valuable in the moment. Um, And it's often overlooked. And so we find it in the story of feeding the 5,000. This is a miracle that God did. And we read about it in John chapter 6. Jesus and his disciples were on a mountainside. And a a crowd kind of gathered and followed them to that mountainside. And so I think the scripture, what's happening in this passage before we get to this point is a little bit funny to me. Because they get to this mountainside and Jesus' disciples are there. The crowd's coming. Jesus turns to one of his disciples, Philip, and he's like, hey. Uh, where, where are we going to buy food to feed all these, these people, right? And this is ad-lib. This isn't perfectly what scripture says, but he's saying, hey, where, where are we going to buy the food to feed these people? Philip's like, uh, I mean, if we worked years, I don't even think we're going to get enough money to, to feed them. So the disciples try to answer Jesus, right? They're pretty confused, like, what is going on? And funny enough, Jesus is actually kind of just testing him in this moment because he already knew what he was going to do, right? So one of his disciples, Andrew, he says, hey, this is what he says. He says, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? We just have a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. How is this going to feed 5,000 plus people? I don't get it, right? 
And so his disciples are confused, but Jesus, in his wonderful nature, he simply instructs the disciples, you know what, just have everyone sit down, get them ready. He takes the food that this young boy had, he blesses the food, and then all of a sudden is able to miraculously feed over 5,000 people, over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. What? Jesus saw what this young boy had, and he saw the value in it, and he took it and did a miracle with it. We're called to do the same exact thing. We find another example of Jesus and how he valued and empowered the next generation when we look at him gathering the people who are going to be closest to him in his ministry, the disciples. The disciples, scholars believe, were all under the age of 30. And so as Jesus is calling them, as he's gathering them, saying, hey, come be with me, come follow me, come do my work with me, they say yes and they go. And Jesus didn't doubt them and their abilities and and what they could do because of their age. No, he saw them for what they were and what they could do in their young age. And so they came, they followed Jesus, they went with him. We need to empower the next generation in their godly gifts and their talents. See, just because they're young doesn't mean that they don't know how to do things. It doesn't mean that they can't be used by God. And I think oftentimes that's where we stop it. Oh, they're so young. What could they possibly do? They're so young. What could God do in their lives? Did you know that young people actually have the most easy and direct access to a giant mission field that none of us older people in this room could actually get into? And it's called their schools. Young people go into their schools each and every single day, and they have the opportunity to shout the name of Jesus in those hallways, and they need it now more than ever before. But you and I, we can't go into those schools and shout Jesus. I'm sure we'd be escorted out pretty quickly. But these young people, God is able to use them if they only submit to God and just let him do it. And it's a beautiful thing that that can happen. The Bible tells us it doesn't just stop there, right? They can't just only go into their schools, but the power of what God can do through a young person goes so much further than that. They can do things in our churches. They can do things in your homes. They can do things in our communities because the Bible tells us that, that they can dream dreams. They will dream dreams. That's what we're told. They will be able to prophesy. I'm not sure if you're getting what I'm saying though, church. See, we just limit them because of their, their age. We limit them because they're young and we think that they're not capable of understanding or doing things. But I believe, and our church here believes, that a young child can come to know Jesus. Our church believes that a young child can, can come to express it and, and begin to experience Jesus in their lives. They can experience the presence of God. They can accept Jesus Christ into their lives and then they can get baptized to publicly profess that to their friends and to their families. But it doesn't stop there, it's even better. They can get baptized by the Holy Spirit. They can dream dreams, like I said, they can prophesy. The young people of this generation can do so much more than we say that they are capable of doing and God is able to do so much through them as well. Amen. See, if you're listening today, I hope you're encouraged by the fact that we are surrounded by young people who can do things. And young people, if you are listening today, man, may it be clear to you that God can use you in such powerful ways. All you have to do is surrender to him and follow him. And as you do that, he'll begin to do mighty things through your life. So church, when the society 
that we're living at begins to look at the next generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, when they're looking at them and they're thinking, man, what is earth going to look like in a few years? What is our world going to turn to in a few years? Would we be the ones who look at the next generation and instead begin to speak life into them? Instead begin to tell them, you are going to be world changers and you are going to do so many amazing things for this world. Man, would we be the ones who do that? Would we empower them? to do amazing and mighty things. So we need to love the next generation like Jesus. We need to empower them like Jesus did. And then the last thing that I believe we can do is we can look to them as well. So as we begin to look into their lives, as we begin to lift them up, it shouldn't just stop there, right? We're empowering them. We're telling them that they can, they can preach. We're telling them that they can pray prayers that will do miracles and move mountains. And as they're doing that, we should then begin to look at them, look to them as they're doing it. See, we're going to look at Jesus um, in our last example here in Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 to 4. The disciples had just asked him a question. They had come up to him and they, said, they had said, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom? of heaven. And how does Jesus answer them? Well, he looks to a younger generation. So it reads, Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus in this moment decided to use the humility and simplicity that children exemplify to answer the disciples when they asked that question. Hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He's saying, no, 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 no. It's not about who's great. It's not about who's powerful. It's not about what we sometimes hear on an earthly realm think, man, it, the more money you have, the more valuable you are. The, the, the bigger position you have, the more valuable you are. Jesus is saying, no, the more humble you are, the greater you are in the kingdom of heaven. And so again, thinking about that, that societal context, children were the lowest possible status in society at that time. And he's saying, if you're as humble as this child, then you are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now it doesn't stop there, right? There's so much we can learn from this passage, but for the purpose of this message, we're looking at the fact that Jesus yet again shows us just how valuable the next generation is and the fact that we can turn to them and look at them for examples of how we should be living right? It's not only us that set an example forward for them of how they can live, but as we do that, as we, we teach them, as we build them up, they begin to show us what we should do. They begin to show us how we can lead and how we can love just like God as well. And that's such a powerful thing. I believe that there's someone in the New Testament who does everything that we just talked about today. In the New Testament, we look at the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, he understood that he wasn't going to be on this earth forever. He understood that he wouldn't be able to carry on the ministry that Jesus entrusted into his hands forever, and he wouldn't be able to talk about Jesus forever, right? He knew that his time would come to an end at some point. And so what does he do? He sees value in the next generation, just like Jesus did, and he starts to search for someone to mentor, someone he could bring under his wing, someone he could begin to teach and talk about, right? Begin to teach them about ministry and how to do different things. And as he's searching for that person, he finds Timothy. 
And now Timothy was someone who ended up coming alongside him. Like I said, he became that, that mentee to Paul, right? And so as Paul's walking along in his ministry, Timothy was right there beside him. He went on different mission trips with him. He, he visited him in prison. He did all kinds of things with Paul, right? And as Paul was sitting in prison, he wrote letters to Timothy, encouraging him to continue the ministry that Paul couldn't in his confines, but to continue doing what he could since he was out in the world, right? And that's what Timothy did. He continued moving. He continued believing in what God had placed in his life. And so we're going to read a passage of that from 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to to 14. Um, And there's a few things we're going to see in this, right? So it starts off, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct, in love and faith and in purity. That's just verse 12 in and of itself. Wow. Paul's already telling him, right? Hey, don't let your age stop you. Paul knew that he was capable of so much more even though he was young. And not only that, but Paul then tells him that Timothy can be an example to others even in his young age. He's able to show others what it means to be pure, what it looks like to be walking in faith and in, in, in love through his speech, through his conduct. And so he's empowering him in that moment, right? And he goes on, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Not only can Timothy set an example in the way that he walks and the way that he talks, but Timothy can also set an example and do what God's called him to by preaching, by teaching. Timothy was young, sure, but God had called him to something already. And he was working and doing what God had called him to. And so Paul's reminding him, hey, do those things you're called to do. And then here's where it gets really cool. Verse 14, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Wow. Wow. I don't know if you're catching what I catch there. Don't neglect your gift that was given to you. It was spoken in prophecy when the the, the elders laid their hands on this next generation, on Timothy. He came to know what he was called to do, to preach and to teach, because the the elders were willing to take the time to pray over him. Elders were willing to take the time to pour into him. We see such a great example from the Apostle Paul of what it looked like to love. We didn't read it in our scripture here today, but there's countless places in the letters that he wrote to Timothy where he said, hey, Timothy, my brother in Christ. Hey, Timothy, my son in Christ. And he would share that love that he had for Timothy. He would tell him how much he cared for him, how much he admired him. And then he empowered him. He said, hey, Timothy, you're called to do these things. And so go out and be the world changer that you are called to do. Even when people look at you and say that you're too young, even when people think that that maybe you sound a little funny, maybe you look a little funny because you don't look the way they do. Maybe you don't sound the way the older people do. You still do what God called you to do. And Timothy did just that. And church, we are called to do the same thing here today. Man, I encourage you. I encourage you to love the young people in your life. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, I don't have a kid. I don't know what she's talking about. Well, hey, guess what? You don't need to have your own kid. I don't even have my own kid. I have nieces. I have nephews. I have your children in this church. I have your teenagers in this church that I get to love on each and every single week. And I am so thankful for it. And it's an 
privilege to be able to love your children, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren, your next generation. And it doesn't stop in the confines of this room, but it goes throughout the world. It goes into the communities that we, that we walk in, whether we're working in schools, whether we're working outside, whatever we're doing in our lives, I believe that God says, hey, reach the next generation. We are nothing without the next generation. Do you catch that part too? These people, these young people who are sitting here at the front today, they are the ones who are going to be up here in the future. They are the ones who are going to proclaim Jesus' name. But it doesn't start only 20 years from now because that's what we think sometimes. It starts today. It starts in the fall. It starts when they go back to their schools. It starts in your homes. It starts in your families. It starts in your communities. That is where they're able to move and do the things that God calls them to do because God's already calling them now. And so church, I encourage you to love, to empower, and to look to the next generation. But instead of just encouraging you here this morning, I thought, how cool would it be if we put to action what we're talking about? How cool would it be if we actually started to love and empower on these young people, huh? And that's exactly what we're going to do. So at all locations across our church, I'm going to call forward the next generation. And it's not just the young kiddos who are already up here, but hey, the next generation is considered to be Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And you know what that means? That means that if you were born in 1997 or any time after that, if you are of the age of 26 in this room or any time, any age younger than that, then I invite you to come to the front right now. I invite you to come to the front so that we as a church, we can pray over you. Man, would this be the moment that maybe it's prophesied over you what you're supposed to do in your future, what you're supposed to do with your life, what God is calling you to. And if it's not, then, then man, maybe this is just the moment we begin to love on our next generation, the moment we begin to, to show them just how much we as a church care. It's not just one Sunday a year that we say, hey, next gen, we love you, but it should be every single week that we do that. Jesus will use next in his ministry, but it doesn't just start 20 years from now. It starts now. And so every location, I'm going to hand it off to your location pastors, and they're just going to come up and they're going to lead us, church, through praying for this generation.